Recording in progress. Hey everybody, happy full moon. And for those of you who celebrate Sukkot, uh, happy Sukkot. It's kind of funny because I was uh, walking with uh, my friend Noah Tishby here in the tip of Long Island. We're here for a wedding and uh, we heard a few people speak in Hebrew. And she said, uh, Chag Sameach, which actually means uh, happy holiday or something like that in Hebrew. And I was thinking, why? Because it's a full moon. And then I've realized, oh my God, we're the full moon after Rosh Hashanah, which basically means that we are now celebrating. Am I wearing it upside down? No, no. Uh, we're celebrating the Sukkot. Sukkot is basically a very old holiday that has to do with harvest. And it's kind of interesting. It's celebrated on the full moon. That always means that we're harvesting something right now. Not only that, if you look at this full moon, this is the full moon in Aries, basically means we are having the sun in Libra, and therefore the moon is in Aries. Uh, that is precisely the opposite full moon. It's the mirror image full moon of Passover. So in Passover, the Exodus began, the movement of the people, and in, in um, Sukkot, which is precisely 180 degrees away in the Zodiac, we are having the gathering, the harvesting of, the, of whatever we have planted around that time. So it's kind of interesting. It's a holiday that's basically based on the ancient holidays of harvest that were going on in the Levant, in the Mideast, in the uh, ancient Near East. There were celebration of harvesting everything from the field. And the reason why the old custom in Judaism uh, to spend outside in a shack or a shed, um, usually covered with palm leaves, fawns, I think you call them in English, um, and celebrating whatever you have harvested is very, very similar to what happened at that time a long time ago in the fields. Usually the farmers used to go out to the fields and stay overnight there in their sheds so they can wake up early and continue their harvest. In fact, that's what we used to do in the kibbutz when I was working on. In this period of time, we used to go out to the fields because they were further down and actually stay overnight in those sheds because the weather is almost okay unless you're here in New York and it's kind of chilly. But in uh, uh, the Near East, it's not that bad still in October or September, October. And you go to the fields and gather everything that you have planted. Now we are not all farmers, but uh, we still do honor these holidays because the same idea is happening to us in a much more personal level. So whatever you have planted around the time of Passover, we're talking about the end of March, the equinox, uh, the first full moon after the equinox, if you remember, then now you are basically harvesting and I'll share with you one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's actually one of the scrolls. Uh, you know that Sukkot and Passover and Shavuot, uh, those were holidays that people used to go to Jerusalem. That's how Jerusalem's echo, like the uh, financial situations there or financial institution was there, which is back then was the temple. Three times a year, the people from all over uh, the country go on a hajj, on a a pilgrimage, you can say, regalim. Regalim basically means legs. You, they walked, you know, in those times we could walk. And you walk to Jerusalem, you bring some of your harvest, you bring uh, whatever it is that you can offer to, the, uh, to, to Jerusalem, basically. So it became like a financial hub, like we talked about, I think, a few times here before. And in any, every one of those uh, holidays, there was a scroll. It's not a book, it's a scroll. It's a little bit smaller, more dense. Uh, one of them, for example, in uh, Passover, they used to uh, work with the Song of Songs. In Shavuot, they talk about Ruth. We talked about this as one of my favorite um, uh, books in the Bible. And in Sukkot, they used to read Ecclesiastes, which is basically in Hebrew means Kohelet. And Kohelet in Hebrew has the root of the gathering. Ecclesiastic is, um, I think, the preacher in ancient Greek. And um, it's coming from Kohelet. In Hebrew, Kohelet comes, like I said, from the root of to gather. So it's like the preacher gathers the people to say something wise. And this is the wisest of all books, I think, in the Bible. It's beautiful. It's basically pure poetry and pure philosophy. And during Sukkot period, it is accustomed to read from this ancient book. We believe it was written around 450 BCE to 180 BCE. 180 because we already have mentioning or quotes from that book, even though the book was attributed to King Solomon. Solomon, of course, was the wisest of all kings. He um, could conjure demons and uh, uh, enslave them, they say. They could, he could speak to animals, supposedly. And, of course, he had tons of wives, so he is, was a very busy person. 
And one of the things that he did towards the end of his life, according to the tradition, is write the book of Ecclesiastes. Of course, we know that he didn't, because in the book itself, there is a lot of words that come from Aramaic and come from Persian that the Jews brought after they returned from Persia to build the second temple. So we know it's around 400 BCE, like I said, to about 180 BCE. And one of the theories about this book, you'll see it's a very philosophical, existential book. It sounds almost Greek in nature. And what they believe is, is that it's the Jewish answer to the Greek philosophies that were spreading around uh, the empire of uh, Alexander the Great. So it has some of that uh, stoic feeling of heaven, uh, like vanity of vanity, all is vanity and striving after wind. That idea is to kind of bring for the young Jews, you know, it's like the to the uh, hipsters of Judaism around that time, the guys that were interested in Greek philosophy and starting to question their own tradition, to add some Greek ideas into their own tradition, to inject it there. It's almost like an antidote, so they can have it also there, so they don't have to leave Judaism completely and go and follow Plato or Socrates or Aristotle. You know. So we'll go a little bit into this book because today is the full moon. I told you, uh, somehow our Sundays uh, happen to fall on very auspicious times. Today it's falling on the full moon again, and it is falling on a very important holiday, at least a biblical holiday. But before that, I wanted to share a few things that uh, I prepared for you. First of all, again, next week we're going to uh, meet an hour earlier because I'm going to be at Omega teaching uh, people that are interested. I hope some of you guys are going to come uh, about um, how to read your own chart. So if you are able to come from Friday, next Friday to Saturday, um, Sunday, sorry, we're going to meet at Omega, upstate New York, and learn how to read the chart. And I also added another holiday, another uh, class. If you are in Hollywood, in Los Angeles, uh, we're going to have a special Halloween treat. We're going to have a spiritual pop-up. You know how uh, they have uh, food pop-ups and they have fashion pop-ups. Now we're going to have spiritual pop-up. It's basically a place we got in Hollywood, a very uh, mysterious place. You're going to find out about it. It's like a rave parties. Only when you register... And we're going to do a past lifetime regression one day before Halloween. The reason why I wanted to do it is because Scorpio, as you know, it's going to be during Scorpio, of course, is the whole, it's basically the sign of death and transformation, past lifetimes. And the veils, according to the Celts, are very thin between the living and the dead and also between your lifetimes. So it's the best time in a whole year to do past lifetime regressions. Uh, Ian Stevenson, who was studying past lifetime regression as a psychologist, uh, Brian Weiss, who wrote Many Lives, Many Masters, who actually taught me how to do past lifetime regression, both are Scorpios. So definitely Scorpio is the best time to do past lifetime regressions. We're also going to have uh, this week uh, two classes on 11th and 12th, uh, numerology and also time travel. But if you go to my website, you'll be able to see it. And of course... Yes, the first thing I wanted to talk about, which is kind of interesting, I was reading about uh, the problems that the producers of James Bond have in order to find who is going to be the next avatar of James Bond. You know, James Bond has already became an archetype, such a powerful archetype that it survives even the death of Sean Connery, for example, of the people that played that archetype. So it's it's almost like, you know, how the Dalai Lama, we have the 14th Dalai Lama because everyone I mean, after a lifetime, the Dalai Lama Number one dies, and then the Dalai Lama number two is there. That's why the 14th is now. So the Dalai Lama hood continues even though the Dalai Lamas die. Same thing with James Bond. We have a few of them that uh, literally died, but also were basically replaced. So the idea or ideal that Plato would talk about, the archetype of James Bond survives and continues. And now it's a pivotal time for James Bond hood because they need to find out who it's going to be. Is it going to be a Gen Z? They said, no, no, we're not going to do somebody young. It's going to be somebody a little bit older. Is it going to be a woman? Uh, we got a little glimpse of it. Is it going to be a person of color? What is it going to be? So then I thought, I saw this um, a tweet, I think, about the dilemmas that James Bond are having. You see here in the slide, I showed a few of the James Bond that already played, you know, James Bond. And then it says the franchise turned 60. And I was thinking, okay, whenever you see 30, whenever you see 60, whenever you see 90, immediately something should pop up into your eyes and it's in your brain maybe. It's the Saturn return. So every 
27 to 30 years, we talked about it many times, you have the Saturn return. You basically have the Saturn that you have in your natal chart is combined with the transiting Saturn. So we have two Saturns, two people standing behind you, constantly checking to see what you're doing, what you're writing, where you're going. And the same thing happens. That's why I wanted to talk about it, not only to people, not only to companies, but also to franchise, also to characters that don't even exist. No, because James Bond is not real. I don't know if you know that, but it, it still works for them. That's what's so beautiful about Saturn Return. So it could happen to your company. It could happen to your country. It could happen to your city. Or it's not could. It, it does. So 30 is that peak because 29 and a half is the real official time. We, we round it to 30. So every 30 years, you know, James Bond has to confront his James Bondhood and decide who am I going to be? And it's kind of interesting because then I said, okay, now it's obvious uh, Daniel Craig died. James Bond that we knew for a long, long time basically died. So there needs to be a replacement. And it's happened right when he was 60, right? Then I thought, okay, so what happened in the Saturn return, the first Saturn return of James Bond? That was around the times of Golden Eye to License to Kill, or let's say License to Kill to about Golden Eyes, because it's 1989 to 1995. And that was the time of Timothy Dalton. Do you remember how James Bond kind of uh, uh, tried to uh, uh, channel itself some, through Timothy Dalton? It didn't work really well. Then through B uh, Pierce uh, Bronson that it started, it tried, but people were not that very satisfied. It didn't really work for them. That was the last time that James Bond was going through a Saturn return. So again, I just wanted to show you that Saturn return is so prominent that it even happens to things that doesn't exist, you know, or to characters. Another thing, I got this um, email uh, from a friend and client, and she was in Florence, and she was writing, this is a quote from her, I'm, I'm in Florence looking at the statue of David, Michelangelo's David, obviously, it's a beautiful statue. Anyway, the guide just said Michelangelo tried to get the marble at 19 years old, and they said that it was too expensive for an unknown artist. I've actually been there, uh, Tierra Santa, Tierra Santa? Um, Piedra Santa, Piedra Santa in um, Italy. It's not too far from Pisa, and that's a place where the marble is really, really beautiful and very uh, expensive. So that's the place where he actually wanted to go down there from Florence. It's not too far. It's it's like uh, 250 actually euro on a. I had to take a Uber because there was no buses. Now anyway, it's never mind. He took probably a horse. It was cheaper for him. But he tried it at the age of 19. Now, when you think about 19, again, immediately another thing should pop up. And that is the, the nodal return. Nodal return, when it happens to us at the age of 19, then around 37, 38, then it happens to us in uh, around the age of uh, 59, 60. It's including in the Saturn return. It's a special package when you're getting to your second Saturn return. But every 19 years, the North Node, the South Node, come back to the place they were when you were born. That's why the age of 18, 19 is so pivotal. And a lot of people make decisions in their you know, decision where they're going to study, what they're going to study. Suddenly they can vote, right? You became an adult at 18, 19. So he went there in his first nodal return, a very fated time. And they told him, oh, no, no, come back when you're a little bit older. You're unexperienced, uh, unknown artist. Uh, it's too expensive. And, you know, he was a Pisces, so he was probably fantasizing or tried, tried to get a big rock, you know, for his big uh, um, statue or sculpture he wanted to make. Then he came back uh, later on, right in his Saturn return, and he did get the rock that he sculpted during his Saturn return, 27 to 29. So that's why I love doing this work with you guys, because I start getting emails from people based on what we're talking about with examples that happen to them in their life. So thank you very much for sending it. And whenever something like that pops into your head, definitely send it over. These are the best anecdotal research that we can do in respect to the cycles of astrology. Another thing that I was noticing, this is from the New York Times, uh, you know, after... In the last month or so, the word civil war is apparently flaring a lot online, especially in the connection to the United States. So this is from the New York Times. Posts and, posts and tweeters that mention civil war has soared nearly 3,000% in just a few hours as Mr. Trump's supporters blasted the action as a provocation. I'm talking about the FBI um, storming into his place. It wasn't that much of a storm, but picking up all the stuff that he stole. Similarly, spi similar spikes followed, including on Facebook, Reddit, Telegram, Parler, Gab, and Truth Social. You know, that's his um, cynical name of calling his uh, uh, 
microphone of lies. Anyway, mentions of phases that doubled, I mean, sorry, mention of the phrase civil war more than doubled on radio programs and podcasts as measured by critical mention, a media tracking firm. So it's kind of interesting that 3,000% more. Now, we talked about it here a long time ago, and I think a few months ago I warned you that as we get to the midterm election, we're going to have a lot of discussion about civil war. Why? Because, first of all, mid-term elections here in the United States are going to be taking place on November 8th, which happens to be very inauspiciously right on the eclipse. An eclipse push things forward, whatever, good, bad. It just pushes, you know, it's like it makes things go much faster. It's like hitting the turbo button. And not only that, we are having already from August until March, Mars in Gemini. And when Mars is in Gemini... It creates war, Mars, or aggression, Mars, in Gemini. Gemini, gemelos, twins. So what happened is that Mars is pushing the twins into fight. Twins is the ultimate uh, siblings rivalry, in a sense, because they're born at the same time, más o menos, and from the same mother and hopefully from the same father. So they're really sharing a lot of their genetics, you can say, if they're identical twins. Even if they're not, they're sharing the womb. Think about it, like you have two souls that are coming together slowly into the fetus as they as the fetus develops and they share the mother's food the mother thought the mother's um, activities everything so mars being in gemini is the ultimate manifestation is the quintessence in, in manifestation of war between siblings right and don't forget that according to the Greek mythology, if a brother turns against a brother or a son against a mother or a mother against a son, whatever the combination of blood being shed within the family, it invokes who? The Furies. And the Furies are these entities that are so evil and so, not evil, sorry, they're so powerful and so menacing that even Zeus himself cannot override. It's almost like a, a program that is beyond the will of the gods. So whenever a blood is spilled within the family, and we're talking about civil wars being ultimate like that, the furies on, are leashed on, um, on the family or on the person who did that. So the furies are actually over there in the United States now sitting on top of uh, the uh, Empire State Building, looking down, thinking, okay, any minute we can come down now. And according to Twitter, uh, they supported by that 3,000% much more uh, mentioning of civil war. And you know how it is, a self-fulfilling prophecy. You talk about it a lot, you mention it a lot, and I, sorry, but I'm also in fault in that. But at least I'm trying to do it through the astrological thing, not through um, some conspiracy theories. But anyway, this is interesting because what we're going to have during the election is not only Mars in Gemini, because that happens, but Mars retrograde in Gemini right at the time of the election, plus the eclipse. So eclipse provokes even more this kind of uh, situations. So again, we have to really, really be careful. I told you, as within, so without. So what we can do, even if we're not able to do something outside of us, is to at least inside of us stop our inner wars. And I have to mention that I've noticed, um, and I blame the full moon uh, sitting right on top of my Saturn, right on top of my Chiron. We'll talk about the full moon in a second. And I was feeling these inner wars within me. Uh, poor Noah that I'm hanging out with now for the last two days had to deal with it quite a lot. A lot of self-doubt, a lot of clashes within me. But that civil war is very much inside all of us right now. You know, the, the left and the right, the yes and the no, the old and the new. All of that is happening. The war, you know, people ask about world war. The world war is not only happening, you know, if uh, Putin unleashes his nuclear uh, arsenal. You know, it's happening already within us. Because it's happening within us, it also manifests outside of us. So we have to really be careful because, you know, Mars is war, Mars is aggression, Mars is blood in Gemini thoughts. The fights between the right and the left hemisphere, between the yin-yang, you know, between, I told you, the past and the future, the left and the right. So we really, really have to be aware at least until uh, January 14 when this is taking place. Again, next week, just to remind you, we're going to meet an hour earlier at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time. That's also going to be for the um, for our Instagram. <clears throat> and by the way, if you're interested, I'm going to do another uh, live Instagram in about an hour after we finish with Laura Day. And we're going to talk about uh, my book on astrology for 2023, mentioning a little bit of things that are happening next year and um, uh, about the full moon as well. 
So Sukkot is today the tabernacle, tabernacles. I mean, I wrote it down because I never can pronounce it. Sorry. We call it just Sukkot. It's much easier. But anyway, we talked about the sheds in the fields for the harvest. And in Kabbalah, the interesting thing in Kabbalah, you know that in Kabbalah they view a, a very favorite view, actually, over the feminine energy compared to the Bible. Because in the Bible, everything was done to assassinate the goddess, you know, the Ashtara, that, um, that is one god, and that god is a male, and that's it, okay? But in, in Kabbalah, that was influenced probably from the worship of Maria, especially because Kabbalah was developed in Provence, in southern France, in Spain. And at that period of time, the 12th century, 13th century, the worship of Maria w- was very elevated, so much so that the church started worrying that uh, Maria is more popular, getting more stock than Jesus. And anyway, what happened, it's probably leaked or diffused into Kabbalah. And suddenly in Kabbalah, we are mentioned, it's mentioned much more, the feminine aspect of God. She's called the Shekhinah. She's like the feminine aspect of God or the wife of God. And what happened with God withdrew from creation, the Shekhinah left him. Which is really interesting because it's really a story about a divorce. A divorce between the father and the mother. And then there is an issue of custody, which was... The kids are us. And then the Shekhinah got 100% custody by deciding to stay with us. And Shekhinah in Hebrew basically means the presence of God. So the presence of God, you can say the force, like in Star Wars, the presence. So if you want to say that somebody is very connected, you can say the presence is strong with him or with her instead of saying the force is strong with her. So the presence, Shekhinah, decided to go with the kids. And to get full custody of the kids, God withdrew. That's the Tzimtzum, which we call in Kabbalah. God withdrew to his own realm. And the Shekhinah decided, you know what? I'm going to stay with the kids with all due respect. And if this is a divorce, I'm going to take full custody. And she won over the custody uh, fight. And she's with us. Now, during the uh, time of Sukkot, one of the reasons why in Kabbalah they tell us that we have to go outside and spend play, spend uh, the nights, seven nights. Remember, seven is a very important number. It's actually the number of 2023, but on that we'll talk later on or you can read in my book. The idea is that you need to spend time in the shed because the shed is supposed to be covered but covered with fawns, like we said, by leaves, by, by palms, whatever you have. And that creates a situation where you can look up and still see the stars or see the rays of the sunlight come through. That means that there is no barrier between you and the Shekhinah, between you and the heavens. And that's why we do that, because when we have regular ceilings that, thank God, you know, keep the rain outside, it also keeps the Shekhinah outside. And that's why it's really important to do things outdoors. Now you know why. You know, it's not only for vitamin D, it's also for the vitamin S, for Shina. And uh, one of the things that we do is um, we read from the book of Kohelet. And I wanted to share a few sentences from it. The reason why is because I was always absolutely obsessed with this book. So much so that uh, I remember it was a funny thing I, used to, I found in my um, family's Basement. No, it wasn't basement because we didn't have basement in Israel. We used to call it the Miklat, the place where we used to hide if bombs come. So sometimes it served also as storage if there is no war. And in one of the, I, I used to go there inside quite a lot and look for books, crazy books, old books. I don't know why. My mother and father had one of King James's uh, editions of the Bible, very old one. And I took it out and it was in English. And I was fascinated because when I read the Hebrew, I read the Bible in English, it vibrated much more with me. Maybe I was a Christian in a past lifetime reading it in English much more. But in Hebrew, it's beautiful, definitely beautiful. And I'm thankful that I can speak Hebrew in this lifetime. But in English, sometimes some of the parts in the Bible are so beautiful. So anyway, I was reading it when I was in, a teenager in high school. I remember I was reading it quite a lot during maths classes and other classes that were boring to me. And the teacher one time came running towards me because she was really pissed and she grabbed that book and she said, what are you reading? And she opened and she suddenly saw that it was the Bible and she kind of gave it back to me and she said, don't read it now. But that was the book of Kohelet. That's, I remember very clearly, it was chapter one in Ecclesiastes. And I'm going to read for you. You have it on the screen. You can see it. These are the world of Kohelet. Uh, the son of David, hence the idea to connect it to Solomon, king of Jerusalem. And he says, vanity of vanity, said Kohelet, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. It's kind of depressing. I mean, think about it. The first thing he says that everything is vain. Everything is futile. Everything is nothing. Vanity is vapor. 
It's something that comes out of our mouth. Think about it. The words are now coming out of the mouth. They're, of course, translated into digital things, to binary thing. But, you know, it's coming out of the mouth. You can't really see them. They have some power, but they're not really there, if you think about it. It's just air flowing through um, my mouth, from my, uh, from my throat. It's adjusted by my teeth and my lips and, and the formation that are, they're creating. But they're not really there. There's nothing. And it really resonates with what the Buddha said. Form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. Form is form. Emptiness is emptiness. It's the idea in Kabbalah of Ein, of nothingness, of Shunyata, of the void, the yawning void that the, the Greeks speak about as the origin of all life. So, He's saying, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. You know, what, what profit has man from all the labor that he does under the sun? So this also links to astrology, by the way. There's a whole part in the Ecclesiastes 3, which is, you know, a time, a season for this, a season for that. We'll see it in a second. And that also represents the idea of astrology that for everything there is a season. That's why it's called electoral, um, electoral astrology, where you decide when to do a wedding, when to open a business, and when to have a child if you have a choice. So what profit has men or women uh, and they labor under the sun? One generation passes away, another generation comes, and the earth continues forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down. It's very depressing. The wind goes towards the south, and then it goes to the north, and then it turns and continues in its circuit, and the wind returns back to its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, and yet the sea is never full. Unto the place where the rivers go, then they go again. This is basically the cycle of water, you know. Rain goes to the river, the river into the sea, the sea vapors again up uh, to the clouds, the clouds run away to the rivers, the river come back. It's the cycle. Everything is cyclical. Again, that's the basis of astrology. We talked about Saturn return, North Node return. All of these returns is basically what Kohelet is trying to talk about. And he says, all things toil into uh, weariness. Men cannot utter it. The eyes is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. I mean, come on, he's describing our age. It doesn't matter how many Instagram posts you see, how much news you read, how much books you consume. You never really uh, feel satisfied or saturated. It's all going on and on and on and on. Um, and there is this thing upon it says, is there something new? Is there something happening? Nah, nothing is new. Everything is taken. Everything you write is basically stolen from somebody else. Besides, it's kind of depressing. So this is the idea of how he says, not only that, you know, he, he says all of these things. And then he says something really interesting. And he says, I, now, okay, after he basically talked about all of his uh, thesis here, this is his thesis, you know, he basically described everything is coming back, everything is returning to itself, everything is boring, all the rivers goes to the sea and the sea is never full. In other sense, okay, let's commit suicide. And then if you don't believe me, now then he comes in chapter 12, in, uh, in uh, sentence number 12, and he says, I, Kohelet, not to tell you that you understand who I am, I, Kohelet, have been king over Jerusalem and I applied my heart to seek and to search wisdom concerning all things that are done under the heaven heaven it is a sore task that god has given to the sons of men to exercise i have been i've seen all the work that is done under the sun and behold all is vanity so it's like after i told you that everything is vain now listen to me i'm kohelet i've been king over jerusalem this is my resume i'm the wisest person alive believe me i talk to a lot of people everybody's a fool and i'm telling you again everything is vain now, again, I told you, this is the, the it's kind of like, a, like, that's how I see it, it's some kind of a vaccination. You get a little bit of the disease, controlled, you know, very poetic, so we can deal with these kind of philosophies, suicidal philosophies, later on. And the beautiful thing about him is that some of his solution to these issues and, and these problems is to realize that to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to plunk up that which planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. I mean, this is beautiful. This is so beautiful that later on, you know, in the 60s or 70s, uh, the mamas and papas did a song about it, if I'm right. So it's it's basically telling you, listen, guys, it, everything is vain. Everything is cyclical. But there is a time to dance, even in this whole sadness. And there is a time to mourn. There is a time to embrace. And there is a time to refrain from embracing. Basically, there is a time for everything. 
You just have to figure out when to do what, and then you should be fine. And the interesting thing about it is that the rabbis probably freaked out so much when they compiled the, Bi the, the Bible that we have and canonized it that they say, oh my God, this scroll is dangerous. These are, people are going to commit suicide or they're going to just leave uh, our tradition. So they added uh, two sentences that we know that were added later on by the way that the, the, the voices and, and by the, the words that they use. And the last two sentences of this very intense philosophical uh, you can say treatise is the end of the matter. Okay, okay. So, and the end of the matter, it says, all having been heard, I heard, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard that everything sucks and all that. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole man. Okay. For God shall give, uh, shall bring every word into judgment concerning every hidden, every hidden things, whether it's good or whether it's bad. So basically, it's almost like somebody wrote all of this beautiful poetry going deep into the human soul. And then somebody else came, okay, this is kind of crazy. I mean, this is dangerous. So let, uh, instead of censor it, let's finish it. You know how they say the most important part of the movie is the last seven, eight minutes, ten minutes, because that's what you go out with if you survive the whole movie. That's what you're going to remember. So they used this psychology without being psychologists and said, you know what? The last two sentences of this crazy book that has 12 chapters will be... The end of the matter, you know, in Hebrew it's kind of sofdavar. At the end of the matter, all having been heard, you heard of what Kohelet said, fear God and keep his commandment. Okay, let's make it keep, just keep his commandment. Don't, don't worry about the meaning of life. After all you read, uh, leave it alone. So this is what we read during Sukkot, and hopefully you will read it after a good harvest, so you're not super depressed, uh, because at least you can survive for the next year. That's the purpose of this, in a sense. Now, another thing that um, happened to us this week, or not necessarily to us, but uh, in the world that I wanted to uh, mention uh, is interesting because it happened just yesterday, I think. Uh, where is it? Yeah. Um, oh, before we go there, this is the chart of the full moon that is happening to us today. The sun is opposite to a moon. You can see that's why it's a full moon. And it's sitting right on top of Chiron. So if you've been experiencing some old wounds from your past, childhood, wounds that have to do with the feeling of security, family, home, what is important for you in life. I mean, oh my God. And then I talk to you about vanity of vanity. I mean, I should have thought better. But that's very, that fits very well into the scheme of things because Chiron is the wounded healer. It's retrograde, meaning that it's going inward. All retrograde planets mean that they're manifested inside of us, not only outside of us. So the wound doesn't have to be outside it could be much more inside of us and it's on top of um, the moon and Chiron is always talks about wounds emotional physical spiritual intellectual and the moon represents of course home and family your genetics what you are familiar with and it's opposite to the sun meaning that there's some kind of um, push and pull that you're feeling and there is a lot of feeling of wounds or heaviness not only that the black moon is sitting on top of uh, um, Minerva so it's almost as if the, the mother of demons is mixing her energy with the goddess of uh, wisdom. So we can't really tell what is wise and what is like fear. You know, that's, you know, that kind of, kind of think about it. It's perfect for uh, Ecclesiastes. And uh, the moon is opposite to Venus, which can create a little bit of uh, friction with certain people around us uh, and a lot of conversations about what I want and what I don't want in relation to relationship. And also, how do my partnership in general fits the scheme of things with my family? So you might feel some tension between romantic partners or partners in life and your family and what they expect from you. But besides that, the full moon, you can see, is full of opposition. So there's a lot of oppositions happening at the same time. And you can see this Pluto is stationary. Pluto is retrograde more than half of the time. And he's a very slow planet. And he's stationary. He was stationary yesterday and he was stationary today. And Pluto talks about explosions and death and resurrection. And that leads us to Putin's birthday. Putin's birthday was uh, two days ago. He turned 70 apparently, even though I was reading a lot about his chart, his birth chart. And apparently for the KGB around that time also, they did not want anybody to know when they were born because they did believe in astrology. And I think they do still believe in astrology and or use it, let's say, sometimes as a weapon. 
And so they could mix the chart so we will not know precisely when he was born. But if the records are right, we do have a birthday. He was a Libra, born in 1952, even though there is some uh, theories that he was born in 1950, so he might be 72. But according to what's happening to him right now, I would say that he's probably 70, not 72. 72 is a Jupiter return. It's a gift of God. It's a kiss from God. It's something ex of expansion, opportunities, doors opening. But for him, something pretty interesting happened. Ukraine gave him a birthday gift, a, a solar return. Remember I told you always that birthdays are really, really tough. That on birthdays, we have to be pampered, that we have to get gifts. We have to be uh, given surprise parties because it is the worst time of the year. You're getting a solar return. Remember we talked about Saturn return. Saturn is returning to the place it was when it was born. Sun return or solar return is your birthday. You have your birthday on a certain time of the year. That's when you're born and that's where you have your sun. And then the sun returns to that same place and now you're being scorched by two suns at the same time. The, the temperature is really high. And that's what happened to Putin. His favorite bridge that he inaugurated in 2018, that he went there specifically to inaugurate between that connects Crimea to Russia. It was very symbolic. It was a bridge that connects. It was the longest bridge in Europe. Now the bridge in Lisbon is the longest one. And It, they blew up. They blew it up right on his birthday, right when Pluto was stationary. So that's why I put you the poem, Crimea Bridge is falling down, falling down, falling down. Crimea Bridge is falling down, my fair lady. Oh my, uh, yeah, he's not that fair. But when I looked at when the bridge was inaugurated by him, it was May 15, 2018. It was a new moon in Taurus. That's why I told you that I do believe that they still use astrology over there because Mars was... Um, a, And that day when they inaugurated the bridge, Mars was exalted. The moon was exalted. There was a mutual reception between Venus and Mercury. And there was a lot of auspicious things. Neptune was in his own uh, place. Saturn was in his own place. So I can understand why they wanted to inaugurate it at that time. Obviously, it didn't work really well. Or it would have worked perfectly well if they just stayed out of uh, Ukraine. But when I put the chart of uh, put Putin on top of the explosion uh, that happened uh, two days ago. There's a few things that are interesting. Here you can see in the chart that that's why we call it a solar return. You see here inside the inner chart is the chart of um, uh, the actual explosion. And the outer chart is, uh, sorry, the inner chart is the chart of uh, Putin. The outer chart is the chart that has to do with um, the explosion. So first of all, what you see is the 14 degrees, 13 degrees. It's because it's a birthday. Birthday, you're going to have the sun return to the same place. The interesting thing also is that Saturn is 18 degrees Aquarius and it sits on top of uh, Putin's nodal axis. And the nodal axis is karma. So it's kind of interesting that Saturn re is returning on top of the north node and south node and opposition and conjunction which is very, very interesting because it happens every 19 years. Remember we talked about it. And Saturn is retrograding. It's karma returning in a sense. And it sits on top of his North Node. And the North Node, a lot of time, especially in leaders chart, are the people. So you're going to start seeing cracks uh, with all that support that he has. And on top of everything, I noticed that the Black Moon Lilith was sitting on top of his Uranus. That happens Again, very rarely. So, And it's in Cancer, which is home and family. So there could be that this explosion of the bridge is more than that. It could be a symbolic explosion of other things as well, especially because Pluto is stationary. It's going to stay like that for a while. Um, now, let's look at what is happening with the next week. So if we... Bring up the charts. Yep, stop sharing. Um, next week's chart. Nope. That's not next week's chart. Next week's chart is this one. So let's see what's going on. Today, as you can see, the moon is full. Chiron is opposite to the sun. Yes, yes. A lot of... Uh, Uh, challenges with our emotional well-being but the new the full moon is happening in about an hour an hour and a half two hours so it's literally happening right now so one of the things you could do is send something out there you know get your pockets empty like uh, 
commit to ending something, to completing something on this full moon, especially something that has to do with I versus thou, how much you focus on yourself, how much you focus on your partners or people around you. If we look at October 10, it's um, the moon is still in Aries, so there's still connection to action, movement, doing things. Because the moon is going to be squaring Minerva, squaring the black moon, squaring also Pluto, not the easiest day tomorrow, Monday, the day of the moon. It's very moody a day. But the good news is that we actually have a beautiful trine between personal planets. So that's super important. Mars and Venus, Mars and the Sun, Mars and Saturn, Saturn and the Sun and Mars. You see a beautiful trine forming there. So even though it could be a little bit emotional with the moon, uh, we have a very airy uh, period. Airy basically means business, communication, movement. Uh, writing ideas that can come to you and you can see Mars actually is doing very well with uh, Saturn it's past but it's still doing very very well and also with Venus and the Sun so we still carry that from before I told you that I think on Friday it started on October 11 the moon is moving to its signs of exaltation that's always good moon in Taurus especially when she sits on top of the node uh, on top of the dragon this happens nowadays once a year between december of last year until july next year when the north node is in taurus so every time we have the moon in taurus we're blessed twice not only because it's exalted which is getting the best energy possible but also because it is associated with the north node which means connection to people communities good energy with real estate good energy with home family feeling more secured that's really good the the day after on october 11 what we are ah, and also what's happening when did it start yeah it's happening also in october 11 which is a tuesday mercury is going into venus we're getting almost done with the uh, shadow of mercury remember we talked about the post retrograde shadow of mercury that you have to be a little bit careful still even though it's not mercury retrograde it's moving into libra the sign of peace diplomacy beauty design colors art so for the next three weeks you can actually have better report with your partners good energy with business partners partners in life connection with new people especially because mercury is still trining and not that perfect trine but still trining pluto which is the lord of transformation and pluto is going direct when pluto is going direct you can get things more done especially in finance especially with uh, working with production other people's money other people's talents passion is returning in a sense because the last few months pluto was retrograde it's causing a little bit less of the mojo you know a little bit less energy uh, Mars and uh, Mars and Saturn are sending beautiful energy to each other, and the Sun is getting closer and closer to a perfect trine to Mars, which is going to happen during the end of the week, which is again very good for action, for movement, for activity, for doing things. The only thing about Tuesday, be a little bit careful with secrets or uh, secret love affairs or any kind of manipulation, power struggles, just because we have Venus uh, squaring. The, uh, the the mother of demons the black moon squaring also with uh, minerva so there's a little bit of bad advice happening to you around uh, tuesday so don't listen too much to people who are trying to plot or trying to get intrigues or gossip that i would say that definitely on tuesday somebody starts gossiping move on you know, don't participate, don't listen, don't try to hear it. And again, also, there's going to be a lot of fake information going out there again, because the sun and, and the moon, uh, the black moon, sorry, and Minerva are sending not the nicest energy on Tuesday. So just to be a little bit careful, Mercury in Libra is actually, again, very, very good for uh, any kind of communication that you need to do, any kind of signature that maybe you need to um, move forward with any deals or anything like that. And because Mercury is opposite to Jupiter and Jupiter is retrograde, listen more, talk less. Even though Mercury in Libra really wants you to communicate and Mars in Gemini can make you reactive to communication or to information in general, uh, you're pissed off, you immediately want to retweet or, 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 or text something or post something, be a little bit more careful with that. Again, because Mars, we are we know that Mars is um, in Gemini, but it's also sending a pretty nasty energy towards Mercury. So again, be a little bit careful. October 12th, which is um, October 12th is a Wednesday. We are having a beautiful trine. Yeah, the trine is getting closer and closer and stronger and stronger with the sun. And um, the sun and Saturn is really good. Sun and uh, 
the Vesta, which is tradition, which works really well. There's, you can see the beautiful triangle that is formed there. Again, it's all about air. And we're going to have to wait for the moon to move into Gemini to complete that, which is happening towards the end of the, uh, the week. So the end of the week is really good for business, for signatures, for connection, for writing, for publishing. But the moon on top of Uranus in Wednesday can be a little bit disruptive. It's an awakening of emotions, but the awakening could also be a little bit more difficult uh, awakening just because the moon and Saturn are squaring. That being said, Minerva is freed. So what is happening in... Um, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, there is better advice, better energy coming from wisdom, better communication. The, the goddess of just war is moving forward and making things happen in a good way. So again, the square between the moon and Saturn can cause issues with women bosses or mothers in the family that uh, maybe are going through some kind of guilt trips and stuff. But just be a little bit more aware of that. The only other thing that we have is an interesting squarey day. That's why you can see a lot of red energy there. The moon is actually squaring Saturn and the sun is squaring the black moon. So you kind of have the father-mother issues going pretty rough there. So we have, if we're a family, mother and father are having a really big fight and they put us in the middle. So again, Wednesday, be careful not to position yourself between two forces that are fighting, two bosses that are fighting, whatever it is, two clients that pull you in different direction. Just try to be more about integration. And because we're in Libra, more about uh, finding peace or finding balance. As we get into uh, Thursday, the moon shifts gears completely into Gemini. And you can see that the trines are getting a little bit stronger. We release that negativity from the black moon. Uh, it's going to get a little bit easier. The black moon and the sun are still squaring each other. So be a little bit still careful with gossips. And that could be even difficult with bosses that are more men or father figures. Uh, but the fact that Saturn and Saturn and the Sun are sending beautiful energy. Saturn and Venus are sending great energy. It's a great day for relationship. It's a great day for um, anything to do with being inspired by a mentor, by a teacher, uh, by somebody who is more in the masculine side. But actually also the feminine because we have the moon sending a beautiful trine to Mercury. So you can say that there is a lot of really positive energy coming from father figures and mother figures. So that's actually good. Maybe around Thursday, you know, the fight that was going on between mother and father in Wednesday, maybe in Thursday they had makeup sex and, and they're much better. So we wake up in the morning for coffee, uh, for, for breakfast, and mother and father are kind of holding hands and lovey-dovey. So we kind of feel okay. We're, we, we're okay for a few days at least. But you see the beautiful trine that are created and triangles are always about protection. The moon in Gemini is going to be trining the day after on Friday with the sun, you can see this really strong, beautiful triangle forming. So it's as if in Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the red in the aspects are turning into much more blue. So it's much more flowing, much easier energy. Everything is flowing much better. There's a lot of better communication, a feeling that things are moving much faster. So Friday and Saturday is going to be much, much easier. And Saturday and Sunday, we're going to have, again, Venus and uh, the sun that are conjuncting, which is always good. The moon is sending beautiful energy to the sun. So Saturday is a feeling of satisfaction. You know, it's not like the song, I can't get no satisfaction. You can actually do get some satisfaction. Just be careful not to be too impulsive because the moon is on top of Mars. In Gemini, you just don't want to say certain things that piss people off. So just to be a little bit more careful with that. Again, if you are in LA, I hope I can see you October 30th. And if you're in New York or upstate New York around Woodstock, that would be great to see you on uh, a Friday, a Saturday. If you're in Massachusetts, especially in Methuen area, I'm going to be in Circle of Wisdom teaching on Tuesday and Wednesday, the time travel meditation and also the numerology class, which are both also online. So you can also join, join, us, on, join us on Zoom, Zooms us on Join. Um, and also my book is out there so if you did get it please please send a good review if you feel that it's worthy the astrology of 2023 we're slowly going to start talking about certain aspects that are happening in 2023 it is unfortunately not the easiest year uh, i call it the movement of the people because there is so much movement there and people are going to start moving from cities from countries it's going to be a lot of um, a movement. 2023 is definitely a year that there's a lot of change. Let's see. And next year, and next week, remember, it's a day uh, we're going to have, um, um, yeah, nine o'clock. Okay. Remember, a day, an, an hour before. Uh, 
The time travel meditation will be on... When is the time travel meditation? I think it is on... Uh, when is the... Yeah, if you go to... Let's see if I can show it to you guys. Um, the time travel meditation is going to be on Tuesday, 6.30 to 8 uh, Easter Standard Time. It's in person and online as well. Let me send you the link uh, directly here so you can um, look into it. Oopla, where are you guys? Here. This is the time travel meditation. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I hope I can see you there in uh, Hollywood if you're there. Uh, that would be a really fun day. Maybe you can come in costume or you can come in a costume that you think will be correlating to your past life or your future life. And by the way, whenever you do past life and regression, there is no past. So all of those regressions, they're not really regress. You're not really regressing. You could be moving forward in time. Your next lifetime could actually happen in... Um, the Roman era and your future lifetime might come in. Sorry, your future lifetime might come in the Roman era. You maybe you have a last past lifetime that was actually in the future. That's why I really recommend seeing the movie or reading the book Cloud Atlas because it talks about these things precisely. Well, thank you very much. I'm sending you a lot of sun and wind and sand and waves from Montak. I think that's how you call this place that I'm here. Uh, it's a very, very beautiful place. A very um, uh, very green and very sandy and uh, I have an amazing week amazing full moon and for those of you who are interested in an hour we're going to talk also about the full moon again uh, at Laura Day Intuit you can uh, see it in, in live Instagram so you guys in live Instagram I'll see you again Montauk Montauk is uh, yeah oh yeah very very close so um, it's always interesting to see that I say I'm in a certain place and suddenly People pop up and say, oh, I'm there also. I mean, this is the beautiful thing about being able to travel and not having to take a boat now for three years to get to some place in the world. So thanks a lot. Um, which book? Uh, the book on astrology. I don't know if you're asking about the book. This is the book on astrology. Let me um, put it back again here. It's available in Amazon. No, that's not the link. If you go, if you scroll up in the chat room, you'll see at the beginning, I put the... Uh, link for the book it's the astrology of 2023 i guess it just doesn't want to go in um, everyone so again thank you very much i will hope you have an amazing full moon without too much injuries and too much vanity of vanities even though everything is vain so any kind of attempt to find any meaning is futile it's like the borg said resistance is futile Thank you very much and have a great, great um, next week and I'll see you soon.